Welcome to the third edition of The Skyhook. I am your host, James K., and right now you are listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. I don't want to have an elaborate introduction at the top here since I had a fantastic conversation with Chris Kwasinski on Tuesday that ran a little long, so I want to get into that as quick as possible. But before I do, I want to make an exciting announcement. The Skyhook is going to be available in podcast form. You can find it right now on Podbean, and I will put that link up on Twitter so you can access that. I put up my interview with Eric Nemchak, and so that's currently up on there. But hopefully once iTunes approves the podcast on Apple, it will be up on the Apple Podcast app. So look out for an announcement on that in the coming days. So another quick thing before we get into my conversation with Chris. We didn't mention last night's game because... Well, we recorded on Tuesday, so I'm going to break down that game next week, so all my comments will be saved for that next show. So without further ado, here is me and Chris's conversation from two days ago. So last season when I was an intern covering the Chicago Sky, there weren't a lot of reporters covering this team, or at least there weren't in the media, like there weren't a ton in the media section during the games. Like with, with the few people there, I met Chris Kwasinski, I hope I'm saying that right, Chris, and yeah, <laughs> we kind of just hit it off just talking about the future of the league and you know what it looks like for the teams and the media and just a lot of other random Chicago Sky things. I have him on the phone right now. Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to see the Sky get, you know, getting back into action, but even more so with the WNBA. Um, I live all the way out, you know, about two hours north of Vegas, so I'm feeling the, the reverberance of the excitement out there with uh, Kim Beige coming over. I know I felt the disturbance in the forest, and that was probably her landing in Vegas, so it's exciting. Oh my, I mean, are you going to convert from being a Sky fan to being an Aces fan now, now that you're all the way out there? Honestly, no. I, I uh, you know, writing about the Sky last year was a lot of fun, but uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine back home and I, we really kind of bonded over the Sky. At first, it was kind of like a like oh like this is funny, but that kind of stuff. But it really grew into like a really solid fandom. And uh, reporting on the team was hard. It's hard to stay, uh, you know, unbiased. But I think it's cool um, coming out here. Hopefully, I can do some more stuff with Vegas and kind of uh, get in there in a journalist sense. But uh, it it's it's fun to watch, especially when you see excitement grow in the communities. I mean, if you ever were to commit to another team and you're living close to Vegas now, this seems to be the year to do it just based on where Vegas is going. The energy there, I mean, like you said before, I, I could just imagine how electrifying that is over there. But let's recap these games before we get into our first segment. So the first two Sky games had some different results and looks in terms of the lineups James Wade was throwing out and just the team's execution on both ends of the court. As you probably already know, the Sky dropped the season opener to the Lynx in a lopsided 71-89 to loss, but they came up victorious in the home opener against the Storm in an exciting 83-79 win. After that win, James Wade was full of energy, and he was just screaming in the locker room. And I think, I don't know if you saw this, Chris, in the post-game video that the Sky released, but... Um, James Wade said after the game, Allie effing Quigley, man. Allie effing Quigley. She said, look, man, I played at DePaul. I built DePaul, and I built Wintrust Arena. 
there just seems to be a lot of good vibes going on in Chicago after this win. But in your mind, Chris, was this game the blueprint for what they need to do the rest of the season? Or are there a lot of things that the team needs to do to improve that maybe Chicago Sky fans don't want to admit after an amazing game like the one we saw in the home opener? No, it's a, it's a good point. And, and I, I don't want to say this game was a one-off because really it wasn't. It really was a throwback to the best hits from last year, if you will. If you look at Ali Quigley coming out uh, scoring 20 points, Diamond also coming out and scoring 20 plus points. This is this was just a, a gritty win from a team that really needed to get on, you know, some sort of right foot. You know, coming out in that loss to the Lynx was it hurt. It really looked like that team didn't have a really have an identity of where it wanted to go. But this is a stepping stone, and uh, I love how I love how Courtney came out and showed that she has a clutch team. You know, I love that Ali came back and was firing threes like she didn't care anymore and you know that kind of stuff the, the same kind of vibes we saw last year but now i don't but i don't think this is a sign of things to come i think wave has a plan and he's really going to take the month of june and really figure it out and you know hopefully it doesn't take too long because you want to be in the playoff contention at the end of june yeah no i i agree with you on this because i think a lot of people were very wrapped up in the moment when courtney hit that game ceiling shot i want to call it a game winner necessarily um, I think every team needs that blueprint win at the beginning of the season. By that, I mean, like, when, like, uh, every team needs that win to look back on, like, later on in the season where your coach can just look back and, um, and just say, like, we need to play like, like we played against the Storm on June 1st. I'm not sure this was that game that they should be looking back on saying, this is what we need to do. Just the way they, like, I think you said it perfectly, like, this was, or, the Seattle game was just kind of like the greatest, uh, like a greatest hits game from last season. They turned the ball over a lot. Um, they couldn't clean up the boards on the defensive end. And I don't know. I mean, the excitement, I think, while it's great for Chicago right now, it's kind of interesting just, just because it seems like all the problems from last season are kind of carrying over into this season a little bit. But, I mean, what were your thoughts on like from what you saw from like the defense and I mean, did this team improve in any areas from last season in your mind? Honestly, it's a little too, I don't want to say it's too early to tell obviously two games in, but um, I still think we need to see more of Jantel Lavender when it comes to the post presence and that kind of stuff. I really mm-hmm. like to see how she can mesh with Steph Bilson uh, uh, and um, maybe even find a way to integrate Diamond into the post defense there. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot that they can figure out, but defensively, you'd like to see a little bit more out of it. And at the end of the day, though, holding a Seattle Storm team, a Storm team, excuse me, under 80 points is it's a pretty good way to rebound from you know giving up 80 plus to a Lynx team, which is you know just missing players. And that, but that's just that's just how it goes. I mean, you look at these two teams that they played. And, their experience but they're also missing key players and to get a win not from one of them is pretty key but it was another one to you know hopefully you would find something about your team that you just didn't know before uh, i liked how lavender was a starter i liked how she played next to steph but at the end of the day you have to cut down to that 19 turnovers against the storm i mean we saw that so many times last year where there was just turnover after turnover, just bad pass and just you know just careless passing and that kind of stuff. There's bad post passing as well, and that leads to quick you know fast breaks, at least quick baskets by the other team. And that's where I think the most of the def- like the defensive problem lies. And when you look at the sky, if they can fix that, I think 
their defense will just improve just dramatically. I completely agree. Do you feel like this team just isn't big enough to take out teams with an elite inside game? Because a part of me feels like when they play teams that are not as small as like Seattle, like they were out, they were without um, you know Stewie, which oh my god, I can't believe we're gonna go this season without being able to see her. Um, but when we look at these teams, like in the um, the Lynx and the Storm, they're both. They shoot a ton of threes. Like as of right now, and I know it's only two games in, but I I think the sky have allowed opponents to shoot the most three point attempts. And while they have given up, you know, against those two opponents, they've only allowed them to shoot twenty five percent from three. The front court is going to be tested more defensively when they go up against like bigger teams. You know, like there just seems like there was a lack of communication in those last two games that makes you really worry about what they're going to do moving forward and maybe that shift with lavender is going to prepare like propel them and i hope it does but wow just defensively i know like there were just so many times last game where stephanie dolson just couldn't box out her man um or her player i should say and i don't know it just it seems like this team is going to struggle a lot defensively if they don't just figure out some like figure out the lineup early on, and because James Wade wants to make the playoffs this season, makes me wonder what kind of lineups he's going to throw out there, and if he's just going to keep making these changes in June, kind of like you said. Um, actually, let's talk about Jantel Lavender and the rest of this lineup. So, James Wade like he heavily relied on his on the starters in the win against the Storm. I think Ali Quigley played over thirty minutes. Like Sloot played thirty four minutes. Diamond played 35 minutes, and Lavender, who, I mean, she was a late preseason addition, she played 32 minutes. Is it realistic for those four to play 30 to 35 minutes a game for the entire season? Honestly, I don't think it is. Um, when you look at Diamond playing 35 in a game, she could probably do that. You know, she's, she gets, she's a young player, and she needs those minutes to get better. When you look at Courtney playing 34, Ellie playing 30, honestly, it's not it's not what I want to see. I mean, I want to give Courtney an opportunity to come off the bench or come to the bench, really, come off the court, kind of uh, talk things over with the coaches, re-strategize, refuel, and then kind of get back into the game a couple times. Same with same with Ellie. And I really think if you if you look at the sky, like the players I have right now with with Gabby, with Kalia, just coming off the bench, you know, those players can come and spell. You know, a, a diamond or an alley or even a Courtney. You know, you can mix up the lineups and that kind of stuff and see what works. But at, you need to do that sooner than later so these players don't get tired out before you know July. That's when the playoff run has to start. And I don't think it's realistic. But then again, Jameer Faulkner's not back yet. You know, mm-hmm. Chloe Jackson didn't play against the Storm. And neither did Kaylee Samuels. And those are, these are players that James Wade can integrate into his team to where. They're not running around for 45, you know, or excuse me, 35 to 40 minutes a game. Did you like that Gabby Williams was playing, pretty much was playing backup point guard? I mean, she only played nine minutes, but she seemed like she could handle that load offensively when Salute is out of the game. Honestly, it, it it's interesting. You know, that's that's one of the things that I like when you, when you see Wade, you see a new mind come in and, and kind of tinker with stuff. It's cool that he does it now. I wish he would have done it in the 
preseason a little bit more, but and again, he's you know he's the coach for a reason, and I'm just you know sitting here speculating. But uh, when it comes down to it, Gabby's an athletic player. She's got so many talents. Why not try and use her in different ways and kind of throw a team off? You know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And honestly, they won the game against the Storms. So something worked. So something worked, but it just it makes me wonder like what Gabby's role is going to be once Faulkner is back, and maybe Kalia Coppers like she. I don't know, that type of tenacity is something that James Wade, at least so far, seems to value more than potential, I guess. And it makes me wonder, just because Gabby's a young player, how many minutes is she going to get? And is he going to value what she brings on defense? I mean, she was one of the premier perimeter defenders last year. And, I mean, if she can be that backup point guard for this guy, I think it's going to make all the difference in the world. Because I do think that when we saw, especially last year, when we saw Courtney come out of the game there was just no one out there to really facilitate and really step up as the leader on as a passer and if Gabby can fill that role that's great but I don't know I mean I I think that you shouldn't tinker too much playing her one through four like we've seen already um but one of the interesting storylines that come out of last game was like you alluded to it earlier that Kitty Lou Samuelson and Chloe Jackson did not play Wade said after the game that he wants to go with a veteran heavy lineup in close games. I think it's kind of weird he is saying that after what he said about Katie Lou Samuelson in the beginning of the season, how she's just ready to step up right away. What did you make of that? Honestly, what I see out of it is he's still trying to figure out a way to play her. And um, either if that's like a, you know, putting her at the four or putting her at the three, you know, then again, it's a difficult, it's a difficult dance he has to do because Katie has to fit in this. Katie Lou has to fit in this in this lineup in a certain place, and he traded for Gentel Lavender. You know, he has Diamond, he has Gabby, and he has to figure out where exactly she fits. And maybe that's at the two at some points. Maybe it's coming off the bench to start. But and then again, it, it kind of you kind of look at it and say, well, you got to get her on the. In the excuse me, on the court at some point. You know, she's a premier offensive talent. They drafted her for a reason. So getting her on the court just makes them better offensively. So it, it's it's too early to like look at it and say, well, you know, he hates rookies. But at the same time, you got to go, well, you know, you drafted her for a reason. You can't just have her sit in the bench. You know, it better sooner than later. You better just, you know, put her in and see what she can do. And I know she only played a handful of minutes against the Lynx and that kind of stuff only scored four points, but, you know, with the game looming with the Mystics coming up next, I know um, that's something that she needs to get in on. I mean, their, their forwards are more athletic. They're, they're, they can shoot. She needs to be able to get in there and kind of match them toe to toe because the sky don't have the firepower to really go up against the Del Don, you know, the, the Ariel Atkins of the league and that kind of stuff. Do you see her playing the three and four this year? Like, do you think Wade is going to trust her down low right now? Just because she has a, I think the biggest part of her game that she needs to improve on is defense. I mean, do you think she's capable of being able to move from, I mean, she was technically a forward kind of last year. She's a guard slash forward. Do you think that she can be just kind of thrown into the three or four role for this team and like be successful in that, not having to guard the faster perimeter players in the league? Well, if you think of the more premier fours, I mean, I'm thinking of like Brianna Stewart, Candace Parker, Elena Deldon. Yeah. If you put her up against 
those players, I mean, those are MVP players. I mean, obviously, we've seen them come into Winchester Arena and just throw points on the board like it's nobody's business. But she's, I don't think it's realistic to put her up right away and say, okay, you need to perform against MVPs because that's, that's, that's way too much pressure on a rookie. I wouldn't do that to her. But at the same time, if you put her at a three, maybe it's a little, maybe it's a little different. You know, being the guard for that she is, there's a little leeway that you can find. And we saw this with Gabby a little bit last year and a little bit with Diamond too, where they really kind of, or Amber, that is, Amber Stocks, the former coach of the Sky, played Diamond at the four sometimes, also played Gabby at center when they were giving Steph a break. So it's, it just depends on how athletic she is and, you know, how quickly she picks up the game. And if she picks it up pretty quickly, I would be comfortable at playing her at a three, you know, kind of helping us that, that's just that stretch forward in a way. Cause she's got the length to close out in shooters and is just kind of building up that defensive side of her and just making it better. There's no one higher on Katie Lou Samuelson than me. I like, I actually love this pick after, you know, like after this guy made like, uh, or at least after this guy selected her with the fourth pick in this past draft, I just went back and just watched all the footage that I could on her. And I love Katie Lou Samuelson. The thing that I'm worried about now, though, is just how she's going to translate. And if just like the vision of this team, kind of like how I hate to bring up the NBA in a WNBA podcast, but there's another Chicago team, Chris. I'll just call them the Bulls. So I'll keep it uh, anonymous here. Um <laughs> That they can't, the front office can't decide whether it wants to be a playoff team or if it wants to do a full on rebuild. Now, James Wade wants to compete now. And what I saw from Katie Lou Samuelson in the first game, I mean, it really worried me about like her defensive instincts and the lack of quickness that she had. And it makes me just wonder like, what uh if she even has the confidence to even play this season and i went back and i did some digging for this and i think gino ariema i forget i think it was this was after she was drafted the biggest thing that he said like uh, or actually i'll just pull up the quote right now um he said uh let's see he said um, there's a lot to learn. It's much faster, it being the WNBA, and more physical, and you have to pick up a lot of things quickly. There is a lot thrown at you. It's funny, the way they talk when they leave, they being like Nafisha Collier and Katie Lou Samuelson. Katie Lou said, I've got to be more aggressive. And he said, duh, what have I, like, where have I heard that before? And I think that's the biggest thing for Katie Lou, is that when you, I mean, she just doesn't seem like she's being as, aggressive I mean, this is going back to her time at UConn the when she was kind of injury ridden in the in this in, um in her senior season it makes me wonder like is that going to be the barrier between her being able to go on the floor just that mentality of being like aggressive because diamond to shields I think I think that diamond's going to be a big part in Katie Lou's development just because if you even just take last game for example an opening night diamond went 0 for 7 struggled from the field and, you know, most players would go into the second game probably being just be a little tentative, just thinking like just having 0 for 7 in your mind. You've got other capable players on the floor. Diamond came out with 15 seconds in the game and chucked up a 15. Uh, no, she chucked up like a contested like 22 foot shot or something like that. It's just that tenacity that like it's just in her head. Like, you know what? Last game was last game. I'm going to just I'm just going to show you why I'm going to be 
the next great WNBA all-star. It's like, I'm like, I think that Katie Lou has that in her, but that she can, when she, when she does like, and I think she said that, like she just said it herself that she needs to be more aggressive. If she can't unlock that this season, it just makes you think like, what, what are you, what is James Wade going to do here? And I just wonder, like, is she supposed to be a key piece for this offense? She kind she kind of needs to be that fourth scoring option. Look, we are only two games into this season, and I'm not trying to overreact here since we are recording this the day before game number three, and she could very well show some more of those flashes of the player that she is going to become. But based on game number one, I do worry about her aggression on offense, and even though the talent is all there, and again, I'm so high on Katie Lou Samuelson, I cannot stress that enough, the game she played against the Lynx was just so similar to the game she struggled in during the NCAA tournament last year and just during the regular season last year as well, just in terms of not moving as much. Her idol, Larry Bird, wasn't the most athletically gifted player either, but it was his aggressiveness and intellect that propelled him into being one of the greatest players to ever play the game. She needs to access that, and I think she's going to at some point in her career, but the sky need her right now, and if this is going to be a problem moving forward, and again, it's really hard to assess after just seeing her play one game, and I think James Wade said he's going to play her a lot against the Mystics, or not play her a lot, but she's going to play. Um, I just wonder, like, what do you do if this keeps happening if you were James Wade when he imagined her being a key piece this season? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to think of it that way, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction to say like, okay, two games, so he hasn't played her at all yet, and you know, it's I think it's a little humbling. I mean, it's a little different for a player like Katie Lou to come off a UConn team where they lose literally three times a year to go into the WNBA, where the Sky are probably going to lose with somewhere between seven and fourteen games, and it's. It's difficult. It's different. We saw this last year with Gabby. She did a, a series with ESPNW kind of recounting, like, you know, this is tough. I've never had to do this before. I had this in the last four years at UConn where we just won. I'm not used to losing it. I don't think Katie lose, you, like, is used to this either. And maybe it's a mentality part of it or a mental thing where, she, you know, they to get down and say, okay, this is where I'm at. Let's figure out how to do this. But also, you know, it also comes down to the coaches. It, you know, find a good find a good spot for her. She is a good enough passer to be that facilitator, like you mentioned. And maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's where she's supposed to be. You know, we saw that last year with Steph. She really tried to establish herself as like a kind of a hybrid center in a way where she was developing an outside shot. And at times it worked. You know, it really did. Uh, the win against the Wings, where they dropped 114 points, really comes to mind. Really, no one seemed like they could miss that game, but. Uh, when it comes to Katie Lou, maybe she can do that. You know, she's a good enough passer that if you take her instead of you know Diamond as a passer, kind of give that facilitating idea to Katie Lou, maybe that's where she fits in. And I'd really love to see her in that role, especially since Diamond, we saw like it's Storm, you know, trying to make excuse me acrobatic passes and just doing a little too much with the ball and really leading to turnovers. And obviously, if you cut down the turnovers, this team is different. I think this team is a playoff team if you cut down on turnovers, but um, it all comes down to Wade. I really think he knows what he's doing. I really think he's taking his time. Uh, but then again, like you, like we said, like it's it's like what a 30, 30 something game season. We're already two games in. You really don't have that much time to think about it. By the time they play the next game, they'll be ten percent done with their season. So, yeah, no, definitely. Just 
I defended the Katie Lou Samuelson pick because I heard a lot of people saying that she not like she not only wasn't the right pick at the number four spot, a lot of people were surprised by that when she was picked, but that she wasn't even the right UConn player picked. And that is kind of terrifying just based on what Nafisha Collier did in that individual matchup with Katie Lou Samuelson. Like there were four separate occasions where Nafisha, who's actually transitioned to the three this year, which is kind of crazy if you like think about that she was just yeah. playing the four and five throughout her time in college as like a post-up player. But um, I mean, she burned Katie Lou. Like she was quicker. She was more advanced and like with her footwork and ability to just create her own shot. And that, I mean, I feel like Katie Lou's quickness or lack of quickness, I should say, was kind of exposed in that game against the Lynx. I just hope that James, like you said, like I hope that James Wade just knows what he's doing. And I do trust him. I really think that he has a firm grip on this team in a way that maybe the team hasn't seen in the last few years. But the what we saw from her, it, it worries me a little bit just because I don't want her defense to just eat up. Like um, I don't want her defense to really... I don't know. Like, I don't want her defense to make her unplayable to the point where we won't get to see the offensive firepower that she brings. Because if she does bring it and she's able to be that fourth scoring option on the sky this season, I, I really do think that's going to make like a two win difference. And, but it all, I mean, she has to be able to play defense and be able to guard some. I mean, you got to be able to stay in front of, you know, the player that you're guarding. And she really struggled with that. I don't know, man. I'm just so bummed. I just really want to see her explode, but... No, yeah, and it's it's interesting, and, you know, I don't think it's fair to to look at what Nafisha's done in Minnesota and say, like, oh, no, she really just destroyed Katie Lou offensively and with Katie on defense, but I think it's a little different in that, in that scenario. I mean, when you look at Minnesota this year, you know, they're without Maya Moore. Uh, I believe Simone Augustus is, is injured with... Uh, underwent a procedure and is going to be out. So um, you look at, there's two spots that Defisha could have slid in there. Obviously you can't take over Maya Moore, but as a more athletic Simone, I mean, that's, that's, that's outstanding right there. I mean, if you look at the way that uh, Cheryl Reeve uh, has really injected her into this lineup, it's, I mean, she's a front runner for uh, coach of the year for May, or excuse me, coach of the month in May, just because she found a way to, replace a lot of production that was lost and that goes along with Cheryl being one of the best coaches in the WNBA uh, she, she's won multiple championships for a reason but um, when you look at it James is cut from the same tree you know maybe he can figure it out uh, even if even if it's something as um, even if something is just as strange or just like off kilter playing Katie Lou Samuel at the two you know maybe uh, taking over for quickly coming off the bench and getting that quick draw three and have, using her length on the wing as opposed to putting her inside. Maybe there's a spot in that regard, but we have a whole season to figure that out. I don't mean to be that guy that compares teammates or previous teammates or draft picks right out of the gate, but the thing that stood out to me about that individual matchup between Katie Lou and Nafisa Collier was that Collier has only had one preseason and one camp to figure out how to play the three while Katie Lou has had experience with that in her four years at college and was productive at the three during those time during her time at UConn for her to 
just look that lost on defense against a player that is being asked to play a different position and is also new to the league. Just It just seemed a little troubling since this team doesn't have a lot of players that can hide someone like Lou who is developing her ability on defense. And I really do think you are totally right about Wade being able to have that strong influence on Katie Lou. I mean, he was asked after the draft about her lack of defensive ability coming into the WNBA, and he defended her. Like, he said something along the lines of, like, no prospect is a complete product when it comes to defense. It's, like, an entirely different game. So, like, you're right. He has a chance to be that strong influence on her and to take her to the next level. And it's weird to say that two to, two games in, but... I just hope that she figures it out quickly so Wade can keep her on the floor to show off that offensive firepower that she contains. And in terms of the short-term solution, though, I think you are on point about how they could use her in the Allie Quigley role when Allie is off the floor. So I talked with Eric Nemchok last week about where we project Lou as a WNBA player. And while I raved about her potential as a top player on a playoff team, he looked at her as more of an Allie Quigley type of player. And maybe that is just where she is right now. And she can get those touches when Allie's, you know, when she can get the Allie Quigley touches when Allie is off of the floor. I mean, they both have the same shot making ability. And maybe that role makes more sense for Katie Lou. And maybe that transition from college to the WNBA will be more swift if they... I don't know. Maybe it makes more sense to put her in that role if they want to get a lot out of her this season. But but you know what, Chris? Let's move to something a little bit more lighthearted. I don't want to be down on Katie Lou Samuelson. I'm, I'm excited for what she's going to do this season and beyond. But yeah, let's do something a little more lighthearted. If there is ever a time to overreact to the WNBA season, it is right after watching the first one and a half weeks unfold. Chris, it's time to overreact. Let's do this. So... Okay. We, we are going to throw out some statements, and the other person is going to state whether that statement is an overreaction or if that statement is on point. Do you want me to start off with the first statement? Go ahead. Sweet. So, as we were recording this on June 4th, the Sky ranked 5th in the league in points per game. This is coming after Diamond to Shields went scoreless on opening night while Ali and Sloot struggled from the field. Because of that, there is only room for growth in this offense which is why the sky will end up will end the season where they are right now by being a top by being in the top 5 in points per game is that an overreaction or is that on point nope that is not an overreaction i think that's completely on point especially if we talked about you know finding a way to integrate different players into this offense maybe if Lavender becomes more consistent in the post you know, with getting offensive rebounds and maybe diamond becoming more of a consistent player but also i mean Maybe Kalia turns it up off the bench shooting threes. You know, we know that she's an underrated offensive talent. You know, she can come out, has a great shot. And even if they inject Katie Lou, if they can find a way to make her make her a factor on this offense, and that's a that's a top five offensive team in my opinion, right there. I kind of disagree with you just a little bit, just because right now, like the top or the the four other teams in front of the sky right now are the Sun. Aces, Fever, and Mystics. So the the Sky in, in this regard, and I know they're not focusing on, you know, minor team achievements like, you know, being in the top five in points per game, but I mean, 
Diana Taurasi is going to return at some point. Mercury are going to have a better offense, probably. I would assume that they would score more points with the greatest offensive player ever in Diana. But, um, I mean, the Lynx and Storm are going to shoot a million threes. And I think the Storm actually set a WNBA record last year for 800 three-pointers attempted last season. I want to say that that's correct. But they're going to shoot a lot. I think they could easily move past the sky if they struggle. And, I mean, the Sparks are going to have Candace Parker back. So that's only going to, like, elevate every part of L.A.'s game. I don't know. A part of me feels like this could, this is kind of an overreaction. Just be, But I do think that the potential of those players coming back, especially if Faulkner, I think she's actually going to be a key piece in all of this. Just having someone with her experience come back and be able to navigate the offense uh, while Sloot is off the court. But a part of me just kind of feels that we can't trust the consistency of the Chicago team yet. And that if they turn the ball over at the rate that they are now, there will just be less opportunities to score like naturally. So we haven't seen this team take care of the ball just going back to last year when they led the league in turnovers per game. So I hesitate to say that they are going to stay in that spot. Right. But what is your second statement? So my first overreaction is when you look at the two games that we saw, we saw the Sky score under 80 points in one game, only to score over 80 in the second. Is this an overreaction to say that the Sky are a little too reliant on Ellie Quigley's three-point shooting? I think that is not an overreaction because – they are going to, I mean, she is the the piece that they're going to rely on in the last two minutes of a game. Like, I know Courtney made the, you know, the game-winning or the game-sealing shot at the end when she blew past, uh, you know, Jewel Lloyd, I think it was, who was guarding her. But, I mean, Quigley was getting smothered for a reason. It's because she is one of the greatest shooters in WNBA history, just at least in terms of talent. It's really hard to think of anyone else who has a quicker shot, who can shoot it from any angle and can really just take over a game with her three-point shooting. And she's also looked amazing. Like, even in Europe, I've seen a couple of clips. I mean, her, the way that she's evolved inside of the perimeter, just being able to get up some floaters and just keep teams off balance. So We've seen that a little bit in the first two games. I really don't think that's um, an overreaction. They're going to lean heavily on Allie Quigley in that. Yeah. Um, for, I mean, it's for a reason, so, but what do you think? Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I, I agree with you there. Uh, I mean, when you look at it, Ellie scores 25 against the Storm, they win. You know, she doesn't score over 20 against the Lynx, they lose. So it's easy to look at those two things and say, well, okay, maybe there's a correlation, but no, I, it's too early to think of that way, especially if they can integrate Diamond a little bit more. Uh, it's not... It's not an overreaction, but you look at it and you say, like, okay, you can't rely on it too much just because you can't live and die by the three, especially in this league. But at the end of the day, you know, shooting, she only shot three, or excuse me, six three-point attempts against the Storm. So if it was something around the lines of, like, eight to ten, then, like, okay, maybe maybe they're looking a little too much into it. But at the end of the day, she's she's shooting more mid-range than anything. And that's if that's what she can score on, that's better for the sky. I agree. And I mean, she is like one of the few veterans on that team. That's like going to be able to step it up right now and make, I mean, make anything, honestly, she's just incredible. But so this is my second statement. Mm -hmm. 
Since she came into the league in 2011, Courtney Vandersloot has averaged more assists per game than she did the season before, outside of her 2016 season. So she averaged 3.7 assists per game in 2011, 4.6 in 2012, 5.6 in 2013, 5.7 in 2014, 5.8 in 2015, 4.7 in 2016, but we don't talk about that. She bounced back to average 8.1 assists per game in 2017, and last year she averaged 8.6 assists per game. Right now, she is averaging 9.5 assists per game, which would not only break the WNBA record for assists per game, but she would pass Becky Hammond for the fifth spot on the all-time career assist list. There's a lot hanging on the line for Sloot individually in this. She is 30 years young. And if anyone is going to break this record with that type of production, it is Courtney Vandersloot. Chris, is this an overreaction, or is it on point to say that Courtney Vandersloot is going to become the first WNBA player to average over nine assists per game? No, I don't think so. It's, I mean, if you look at those numbers, they, they you know, they clearly there's incline for a reason, and having eight assists per game is just nuts beyond me. You know, thinking about that. But she's shown last year that she has a penchant for just piling up double-digit assist games like it's nothing. And it's a, such a joy to watch her when she does that because you think, okay, like, you know, what, what, can, what can the other team do to stop it? And there's really nothing else because she's got, she's got a great vision on the court and she's the, overall the best point guard in the city of Chicago by far. But, I mean, you just have to integrate a couple more pieces. Maybe offense becomes a little more consistent. She's a, she's a nine-assist a nine Average just, just like that, honestly. If James Wade is going to follow that blueprint of having the veterans play in those then the more meaningful games and have Sloop play like 35 minutes a game, just because of that usage, it just doesn't it seem like that is just going to happen? Like it I talked to again, like I said, I talked to Aaron Eric and Nemchak last week, mm-hmm. and he said that no, probably nine assists is kind of pushing it, maybe, but like I don't know. I mean, it seemed more unreasonable to me or two weeks ago than it did, uh, you know, than it does now. I mean, if anyone, again, I do think if anyone is going to do it, it's going to be Courtney and they're going to need to rely on her. And like, I mean, just in terms of like the eye tests, I think one thing I noticed like from last year, especially when we were in the media section was that she would get frustrated. Not when players would see a play before her, but like she was three steps ahead. And if her, one of her teammates wasn't also three steps ahead of the play, like, she would get frustrated. I think that her and Diamond to Shields have actually are now more on the same page. I think that Diamond is also going to be an all-star this year and be an elite scorer. I mean, we saw flashes of that last year. I think that's only going to lead to production. And I mean, it w- I don't know if 9.5 is going, like if she's going to be able to maintain 9.5 assists per game. I don't think any WNBA player has had more than 270 assists in a season if she averaged 9.5 in a season, she would rack up 323 assists. Now, the pace, too. I mean, the sky also in the first two games, kind of like what James Wade has tried to ins- like instill in this team, just, you know, run and gun kind of offense. I mean, they, they have a 103 pace, which if you don't know what pace is, it's just the estimated amount of possessions uh, per game. Or, or, no, not per game. It's estimated possessions per 40 minutes so they're leading the league in that if they're just you know doing the running gun offense it just it seems more feasible to me than than what WNBA history wants to 
tell us if that makes sense. No, really. And the, I think the one key thing is I've seen this over the last first, well, the first couple of games is that Diamond is really developed as a pull up shooter, and I think that's huge, especially if you can you know to kind of develop that and, and kind of integrate that with Courtney. I mean, because that it. In that sense, you don't have to be three steps ahead. I mean, you can be trailing a play, and if Diamond's right behind you, you can just hand it up to her, pull up, shooter, bang. You know, if she's consistent in that regard, those are just easy assists. You know, all day for Courtney, especially the defense would have to keep themselves honest, kind of you know trail back, and then that would let Courtney either drive to the basket or find somebody else that's open. So it's really feasible, in my opinion. We've seen Courtney do some amazing things, like last year with her triple double. So she's she's the best point guard in the league for a reason. I was actually going to ask you that later on. If she, now that, I mean, I saw on Twitter today, someone said now that Diana and there's some other player that's out that I'm forgetting. Um, but if Chelsea Gray or Courtney Vandersloot, the best point guard in the WNBA right now. And I thought it was kind of absurd that anyone would pick anyone other than her just because she is an all-time great in terms of, at least statistically, like, Oh my God. I mean, the numbers that she puts up are just ridiculous. And she's like, I think she's played the least amount of games of anyone in the top 25 on the all time, um, in, in total all time assists. I want to say, or career assists, I should say. So, I mean, like what she's doing right now in this league is going unrecognized. And it just blows me away that she isn't, um, you know, more recognized for what she's doing more this season, but um, what's your second statement? So, uh, when I look at the sky right now as a whole, I see a really inconsistent offense. You know, I see that missing piece, but, uh, my statement is if Gabby Williams can kind of nail down a consistent jump shot, she's a all-star in my, is this an overreaction? If she can develop a jump shot, Gabby Williams is an all-star. So my gut reaction to that is that that is an overreaction. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think that the Sky need her to be an all-star for her to be one of the more effective players on the team. Like, what she brings is something like her and Diamond slashing. I think that's going to be one of the biggest parts of the offense this year, just not being complacent on the perimeter um, and I think that, I mean, she is a true slasher and like what she did at UConn speaks volumes to like what she's going to bring to the sky if she stays on the team long term. But in terms of her being an all-star this year, I think the case for it not to being an overreaction would be just because of how, I mean, the stars in this league have taken a major hit in terms of health. And if there are any spots open for like, if there is there a, if there is a year for her to make that jump. And take advantage of a year where we're not seeing a lot of stars play in this league. Maybe she could take that step. I do think, though, that there's a... I mean, if... Let's just say that Diamond does go off and, you know, she keeps the sky in contention for at least half the season. It's going to be hard to include Gabby on the All-Star team if... I think that Courtney is already a lock for the All-Star team and so is Allie Quigley. For them to have four All-Stars, a lot has to go right. But at the same time, like we talked about earlier, James Wade didn't rely on the bench as much uh, when he, like in the last game against the Storm. So it makes me wonder maybe 
maybe someone's gonna he's gonna want to have like a seven person rotation where uh, maybe Gabby does plays the six woman role and yeah. could thrive. But I don't. I'm not. I think that we're going to see a lot of Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, Diamond DeShields, Jantel Lavender, and Stephanie Dolson type lineups more than we're going to see at, uh, Gabby starting. But what do you think? Is uh, what's your gut feeling with that one? You know, it's a little difficult because when we watched her last year, there were times where she wasn't afraid to take a shot, where she was open on the wing, where she was open behind the arc. She was going to take it if she was open. And if she got consistent in that regard, if she was able to hit those threes more often than not, you know, where I'm not talking about even like a, like maybe not, not like even like an, like an Allie Quigley, more like a 30% shooter. If she was able to do that, then I mean, I think that she's an all-star. Even if you wanted to bring her off the bench, then that's a viable person that can play elite defense, but also can shoot the ball kind of well. I mean, when you look at Kalia Copper coming off the bench, she can do that. You know, she's that person that can sit there and knock down threes, but she doesn't have the elite defense that Gabby has. So Gabby can develop that shot. I mean, I'm not even talking three-point range. I'm talking mid-range. There's a lot that she can do on the court, just period. And, you know, she can do that now with her defense. But, I mean, if you can make her a two-way player, that's just, you know, that just puts her into a league of her own, really. So I talked about this last week with Eric. <laughs> I keep mentioning my interview with Eric. It's just on my mind since I just put the that last episode up on Podbean. And actually, since I don't think I've plugged this already, um, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to do it right now. The episodes for the show are going to be archived on Podbean and hopefully the Apple Podcast app as well. I think that's going to be up by the end of the week, so look out for that. But one thing I mentioned to Eric is that in... Europe she actually averaged like 14 points a game in the Euro Cup and I think that was a 23 game size um, sample I want to say so I mean she can be that player I mean like if given the opportunity I just struggled to see her getting those opportunities especially if Katie Lou Samuelson is also going to be integrated into the lineup and you know I mean and Jameer Faulkner is also going to take up minutes at some point when she returns. Hopefully she will return. I don't know. I I really hope to see Gabby make the most of those opportunities because she also, like Diamond, has that tenacity that James Wade loves. And, I mean, you'd think that Gabby would play a lot more this season just because of what she brings on defense. And James Wade, being a defensive-minded coach, maybe she would play more. But, um, again, it's hard to determine that after watching two games. But... You ready for this third statement? Because I'm not sure I am ready for it. <laughs> okay. Wow. So I open this one up. Okay. After seeing how the lineup change worked against the Storm, it makes more sense to maximize the window of Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley by shipping the future for a more veteran-savvy team. I love Katie Lou Samuelson, G- Gabby Williams, and Chloe Jackson, but if someone becomes available later in the season that can impact this team right now and make them a contender in the playoffs... This guy should try to make that deal. Is that an overreaction or is it on point? I think that's a I think that's a very big overreaction, honestly. Um, it's it's a little too early to look at everything and say, okay, like this is the future. Let's mortgage it out if a star becomes available. But and that would have to be honestly, that would have to be like a Cambage like trade. You know, someone that's already established that has years left that can really do that. And I don't see anybody else 
in the league that's worth that, especially if you're talking about mortgaging Kitty Lou, Chloe, probably one of the two of uh, Diamond and Gabby. But it, like, that's I think that's just a little I think it's a little too far fetched at the moment, especially since we don't know how Kitty Lou's going to develop. Chloe Jackson is a good point guard. I really can see her molding into a Jamira Faulkner type player coming off the bench and just being just a just a solid point guard behind Courtney, but. I don't. Yeah, I think that's an overreaction right now, only because we don't know what the future of this team is. And you can't mortgage out a future, especially when you have Allie and Courtney, which are sitting there at uh, you know above thirty. I couldn't agree more. I actually got that statement from Twitter. I mean, I dressed it up a little oh. bit more, but like someone on Twitter was just like, "We just got to make a run. We just have to make a run." Like, did you see how good Courtney and you know Allie Quigley were last game? Like. Everyone else just kind of dropped the ball besides Diamond. Like, we got to make a run for it. And I just, I couldn't disagree more with that right now. I don't even know who would be out there right now to actually make this. Because I, I, if, we, if we're going to improve this team, it would have to be in the front court without a doubt. And I'm not sure if there's a real move out there, at least a major move, to really just give, like, completely ship off the future like that. And... I don't know. I mean, look at uh, that twenty that weird twenty fourteen Chicago Sky Championship team. Like, yes, it was like they had a lot of veterans on that team. Like, I mean, they had Sylvia Foles, Elena Deladon, and actually, I think that might have been Allie Quigley's first year with the Sky. If I want to say, um, but right after that, Sylvia Foles left, Elena Deladon left, and then they were just stuck with nothing, and they had to kind of build the team up to what it is today, and it's still building, obviously, but. I just wouldn't even consider chipping off those players after seeing like what happened from, you know, what happened in 2017 and 2018 because it's just it's a hard pill to swallow and I don't think it's I just don't think it would be worth it for this team to just give up so early, but yeah, I was blown away by that when I saw it on Twitter because you don't see a ton of a lot like a lot of avid Chicago Sky people just tweeting out stuff that bold, I would say, and I, I was really just blown away by that one. So I'm glad that we're both on the same page. Um, so Chris, like I feel like so much in the WNBA has changed for the better, I would say, since we met last year. And as someone who's followed the league for a while, what, like to you, like, I don't know, like what do you think has been the biggest improvement from last year to this year? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that the one that sticks out to me the most is honestly the most visible one, which is the rebranding of the logo and that kind of stuff. Uh, that's, I thought it was, I don't want to say it was overdue, but you look at something like that and you go, okay, well, with a changing sports, you know, changing sports scene, you get more people kind of diving into games and that kind of stuff. And you really want to rebrand yourself and make yourself look, I would say more attractive to a younger crowd. But when we come up with a nice sleek logo, like they did, like, okay, like, you can really see that they're trying different things. They're really trying to put themselves out there. Um, in, at, at the end of the day, the parody is always going to be there. This league is too big, or excuse me, this league is too small for, you know, teams to not have good players. And that, to me, is something that I know the league really needs to capitalize on, and I feel like they have. I mean, when you look at some of the highlights they post and that kind of stuff, and, you know, the players they, they look at, it's really something that stands out to me especially when you look at a, a league that needs to market itself more to just be better but at the end of the day they're really taking steps in the right direction this is a very 
very penultimate year. I mean, there's really so many things that could happen that could happen that could go right. I mean, the sky could make the playoffs if they get their stuff like if they get the consistent offense. You could see Ken Beige uh, in Vegas making a super team. The same goes for Vegas, or excuse me, uh, Los Angeles making one more run with Shanae and Neca and Candice there. Those, I mean, just those three on the same team is just much boggles my mind, especially when Diana comes back. I know you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but when Diana comes back to the Mercury, like there's that offense is just on a new level. But at the same time, you also have Elena Deladon in, in Washington. You know, maybe this is their year and uh, just, you know, fend off uh, a veteran team you know like last year they couldn't do it in the finals with sue bird and storm but at the end of the day like this league is just there's so much that could happen this year and i know that i think the league is positioning themselves in the right way to capitalize on that do you think the league is hurt by having all of these stars out like how big of the, like how big of an impact is it for especially because it seems like a lot of i think and i don't think i'm being politically incorrect when I say this, but that I see a lot more men being participating in WNBA fandom. And I, of course, say that knowing that men don't validate this league, but in terms of WNBA fandom, do you think, like, having those stars out right as we were seeing more fans become becoming more engaged with the league, I mean, how much of an impact do you think that really has on their interest for the, the you know, most it, of the season? Yeah, it, it's difficult because you, you join up a team and, I mean, if you're going to be a part of a team, like, you're going to stick with them. And this, that goes with the Stars. You know, the Chicago Bears right now wouldn't be Chicago Bears without Khalil Mack. You know, they wouldn't, you know, have that same allure. But at the same time, I really do think that losing those Stars opens up an opportunity for other players to come in and make their case. You know, like, when you see Kim Beige being shipped to Vegas, I mean, it opens up the uh, Ariki Ogumbawale in Dallas and that kind of stuff. It really gives her an opportunity just to open up and shine and be an offensive stalwart. Uh, it's a little tough, obviously, as a rookie in this league, but, you know, with all the players that are can become faces of the teams and that kind of stuff, it, it hurts a little bit, but at the same time, you've got to understand that, like, this league is growing. There are so many players in this league that are good and those players just have to capitalize on the opportunity it hurts when you don't have that star power but the potential for more stars to come out and make their case and make the league a better place is just is just there and it you know just boggles my mind that we have that opportunity after 23 years but you know it just this is just how it goes you know it stinks yeah we're going to miss a lot of those players like Candace being out for a while, Diana being out for a while, uh, Subert being out for a while. And, and, you know, it sucks to say, but Stewie's gone for the year. Ugh. But I know it just it just hurts physically just to think about it. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, this league is talented and there's no better opportunity for the league to showcase that than here. I agree. I just... Uh... It just, it really stinks because the difference between seeing like the media section last year, which honestly it felt vacant at some times. Like I remember just walking into the post game interviews just in that tiny media room and just seeing that like it was me and like maybe two to three other people during some games to seeing some like uh, an outlet like The Athletic that now has 12 reporters covering each team or not i mean uh at least one reporter for each WNBA team equaling 12 
it just stinks for me. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, it leaves a sour taste in my mouth thinking that now that they're starting to get more media coverage, I want to say it's the right amount of media coverage. I still think ESPN is dropping the ball and maybe this eliminates me from being hired from them in the future, but whatever. Um, I mean, like the last, I think the, like the top headlines, like they're all from like this month, which if, if you were to look at the NBA, it would be from like the last three days in terms of like the popular headlines. Like it's just unfortunate timing for these stars to be absent when the league is starting to see more reporters at these games. If those star players were there, maybe there'd be more narratives being, you know, being there and like uh, being circulated around the league, I should say. And I mean, that's what we really love as like uh, as basketball fans, just those narratives that are being that are just being forced down our throats, really. And not having like Diana Taurasi, Candace Parker and Stewie, I mean, for the most of the season, Stewie being gone for the whole season, which, God, I could just punch a wall saying that out loud. But um it, I don't know. It just, it's just the timing of it doesn't seem like it's, it's unfortunate timing, I should say. But is there anything that, um, actually, you know what? I'll move away from this because I'm actually, after you went through all those teams, I'm kind of interested to see what your take is for later on in the season in August. Who, right now, who is your WNBA? Like, who do you see winning the, the championship this year? Do you have a favorite in mind? You know, I do, and for some reason I can't shake it, and I can't shake that the Mystics are going to make a run back and just just win it this year. You know, they didn't lose that many players. You know, when you talk about MME Smith coming, you know, being a bigger part of this team, but also Lana Delanon, Ariel Atkins, uh, excuse me, uh, Christy Tolliver, those players are just veterans. You know, they know how to win, and it's like if you took the sky and you just aged them a couple years and kind of said, okay, well, now they found their way. They found their spot in the league. Go win. And they have the opportunity to do that now. I mean, like I am kind of touched on it a little earlier, they ran into a Storm team, which is uber talented in the WNBA Finals last year. But this year, with so many star players being out, I really think this is Atlanta Daladon's time to just rise and be the emperor of the WNBA. I mean, we've seen the struggles that Candace has been having so far in Vegas, but when you look at teaming her up with Christy Tolliver, a clutch point guard and a high scoring player like Ariel Atkins, there's an opportunity there for them to do just major damage. I don't think they're going to go undefeated by any means. Obviously that's a little tough. And if they do, then this is one of the greatest teams we've seen all in up of all time. But this is a team that has the pieces we saw them and they just added to it. You know, they just added more pieces to it. And that's frightening to me to see them go up against players in the playoffs. But I thought, that Phoenix last year was going to make a run, but they ended up getting ousted by the storm. So anything's possible, but right now I wouldn't, I'm betting on the mystics. Uh, the land of Deladon is the best point of the league right now. Chris, I would love to comment on that, but I'm actually just looking at the time here. We're running a little bit low. Um, I'm just going to five second toss in. I think Elena Deladon's going to win MVP this year. So I agree with you, but is there anything that you want to plug or say before we wrap this up? I am going to be doing some WNBA work for USA Today, hopefully later in July. So keep an eye out for that if you're interested. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at OJK underscore. Uh, enjoy, the, enjoy the season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for coming on, and hopefully we can talk some more Sky later on this season. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. 
Absolutely. I'll, I'll see you around. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Skyhook on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. As always, we are on Thursdays at 1 p.m. CT, and I hope you you all join me again soon. Um, check out the new podcast that is coming out. More information will come out on that front. I am James K, and until next time, folks. 